Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast, the second of our new season as summer morphs into autumn and to mark the change in seasons we have a great guest with us today mr jasper martins who is chief marketing officer at pension b and he's going to be grappling with a really interesting topic is what makes a great marketing leader how are you jasper i'm doing very well thanks ben Leadership is, is an interesting one. I, I, I congratulate you on taking this on because it's a bit of a sort of amorphous concept at times, isn't it? Leadership and being a leader. What do we mean, do you think, when we talk about leadership, when we talk about being a great marketing leader? Is it someone who just heads up a department like yourself or is it something else? Well, that would be the lazy route, wouldn't it? Uh, just to be at the top of some sort of like a reporting line tree or whatever. Fortunately, in my opinion, that means something completely different. Yes, you might be a line manager of somebody, but actually the reality is in order to achieve a great thing in marketing, you've got to work with great people. So on one hand, you've got the ambition or mission from the company you work for, especially if you are a brand side. But then on the other side, you work with a great group of people you've hopefully hired, got to know, start working with, and they've got ambitions and growth trajectories too. So for me, it's always been, how do you bring those two together? So something that aligns to the goals of the company uh, that the company tried to achieve, and what do the people that work for you are trying to achieve too? If you can align them by working with them, inspiring them, uh, empowering them, and then automatically you will lead the company and the team into the right direction. So that's how I would look at it. It's an interesting way of looking at it, because what you're talking about is a leadership as an enabler. You're aligning the wants of your people with the wants of the firm. You're empowering people to do stuff, and then they will go ahead and do it. It's not that, I suppose, in a sort of military concept of a leader is the is the guy or the lady at the front who has a whole bunch of people following them, doing what they tell them to do. You're analysis of it your paradigm of leadership is something rather different isn't it i think folks to give you an example of, with regards to um um a pension b is of course we have to set goals we have to set targets where yeah. do we want to be as a company at the end of 2024 that's a discussion we're going to have with the team next week uh, in our marketing offsite the goals are there. We, 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 can, we can talk with the team in terms of how many customers we want to acquire, how much AOA we want to have. Do we want to increase the AOA per customer? Do we want uh, customers to move more pension pots per account to offer to us, therefore seeing us the main provider of choice? So you can present them with particular goals, what the company ideally would like to achieve. Um, don't enforce them. Actually, then ask for feedback. Like, Do you think this is realistic? How can we achieve those? Um, and people will, if you, and again, if you empower people and they feel that they can actually come back with, I think we should do it this way, or generally believe if we run it this way, it could go this way, um, then people feel like they're included, they're empowered to actually start making some bold decisions in the product uh, or in the marketing mix or in, in anything they do. Um, that for me feels like a great starting point because. On the other side, if you do it much more on a military basis, we've got to get to that point at the end of 2024, no matter what. 
Um, I think you probably will, you know, the, the, the wheels might come off the, the, the wagon. I think in that process, if it's unrealistic or it just doesn't make any sense. So for me, it's always been, uh, yes, you set some goals and I will I will work with our management team in terms of what those goals are um, and then present them to the team and say, could we do this? And if so, how? Then you get that feedback. Um, that for me feels like a much more natural way. Uh, and that's how we've always done it at Pension Bay. There's a military phrase about boots on the ground, isn't there? You know, it's a sort of numbers game of how much power, manpower or woman power you've got on the ground in the field of battle or, or, or wherever. But you're actually doing something rather different. You're tapping in to the resources of your team, tapping into their brains, getting their insight and convening and collating all of those insights so they become insights for the company. But I'm not hiring boots, I'm hiring brains. Yeah. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We're paying people to think. I would like that my boss would hire me to, to think, right? So it's about how would you do it? Uh, challenge them. That's what makes marketing jobs in financial services also like actually really exciting because you, you can't just be on autopilot and just execute. Uh, even in junior roles, we do ask people to use their brains and think. And guess what? Turns out to be people are much happier as a result. Probably will stick around for longer. The, the machine in that sense will be much more oiled and much more running like clockwork. Yeah, it's interesting. The audience can't see this because we're an audio product. But Jasper is sitting here with a beaming smile on his face, thinking about how the leadership uh, paradigm uh, works at Pension B. You're obviously a leader there. You're one of the one of the leaders there. Um, but you're looking for other leaders, presumably in your business, and looking to develop other leaders. I mean, is that possible? Is that something that you can do, or is a leadership something you're sort of born with? That's sort of inherent. In, in human beings, some are leaders and some aren't. It's... I believe it's a mixed up mixture of both. I think there is you need there needs to be something. Some people are just naturally uh, much better in understanding, uh, working with others to achieve a particular goal and and work collaboratively and support them uh, than others, uh, and that's okay too. Not everybody should have to be a leader. Like if we had a plant full of managers or leaders, that was also really quite a bit concerning. What you also should not be doing is think, oh, naturally he or she is a great leader. Uh, here's a team. Good luck. It needs to come with some training for sure. And it also needs to be embedded in the right culture set. So at Pension B, we work with a couple of core company values, such as innovation, love and honesty, simplicity, etc., and explaining them in a particular way. So making sure that people fit in that culture, give them some training. Every manager pension B, for example, will be in a manager training and also will have buddies and mentors helping them. So I've been a mentor of some new managers in the company too in the past. And I have also have had help from others in the company in terms of helping me to become a better a better leader in that sense. But I do think there is something around some people are just much more naturally prone to helping well, being a leader and helping others to achieve their goals. It's interesting because you, you've sort of paused it probably subconsciously, I don't know, maybe deliberately into three groups. People who are who are great, for want of a better word, executive doers. They're not necessarily leaders or don't necessarily want to be leaders. Leaders are the second group. You also mentioned a third group, managers. Leadership and management often gets lumped together, doesn't it? As one yeah. thing. Is it one thing or are they two separate things? 
Uh, I do actually make that mistake. Uh, thanks for calling me out, Ben. Um, I do think okay. those, those two, you, can, you don't have to be a manager to be a leader, um, for sure. But I do think, um, you know, ultimately when you manage a team, and in my case at Pension B, I do manage a team of fantastic marketeers. Um, the manager bit for me is more kind of like the, the clockwork element to it, uh, reporting lines, uh, annual reviews, uh, uh, etc. But a leader is going much more further than that. And it's much more around um, how can I help you to achieve your goals? And mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't say they're necessarily the same. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so, so some leaders have to do some management, usually, not always. And most managers will probably have to do some leadership, usually, but not always. But the two disciplines are yeah. quite different uh, in, in what, what, what the demand of marketers. What's some of the best examples you've seen of leadership in your career? Ooh, I've seen quite a lot of bad examples, but I've seen also, fortunately, some really great examples. And in my previous role, there have been some people uh, throughout my career, uh, especially when I came to London. I started it as, an, uh, as a search executive in 2009. Um, digital marketing, I had some digital marketing roles before I moved from Amsterdam to London. And this is the first time I actually ended up in a slightly bigger organization. It was still kind of a startup, scale-up type of way, but it was a sizable team. And the then chief marketing officer, Alistair Douglas, who is now um, the CEO of Totally Money, quite liked because he always asked the question, what would you do? How do you think you could achieve this? Looking at the channel you own or the, or the project you own. So I felt exactly like, he enabled me to be more successful in the role I was doing. So that's a really good starting point. He wasn't a micromanager as well. This this is not somebody who would kind of like tell me exactly what to do and how to do it. And then if you did it, then you get like, oh, no, let me just do it because I can do it better. He was very much hands off and an enabler for me to be successful. If leadership is about being first and foremost an enabler, an empower of people, micromanagement actually militates against that, doesn't it? What you're doing is you're telling people in detail exactly what they need to do. You're not enabling, you're not empowering. This guy is a model of the opposite, that he's what he's doing is empowering and enabling. He's not micromanaging. So there's an interesting lesson there for marketers. I'd love to be being led by Alistair at the time. And I know many in the team did. I'd say the phrase people leave managers, not companies. I think it's a good one because most people will leave a micromanager. Yeah. Most people don't leave an inspired leader. If you see in a team a lot of people leaving there all the time, wow, don't place bets. But I would say that is probably due to micromanagement. That for me was a good learning point. Uh, The other leader that um, I and admire was the then CEO of Simply Business, which is Jason Stockwood. Not all of the things you always agree with, but one of the things that I really liked about what he was doing there is that he, again, he enabled people to uh, learn and to be their best self. At the time, that was, for example, doing the first television ad campaign. I've never done that before. I was a digital marketer. I actually went, as I progressed in my career, above the line. So I started to explore TV, uh, out of home, and some other channels as Did part you of the channel. Daunting? Did you find yes. it daunting at first yes. when you made that move, right? And he helped yes. you find it less daunting, presumably. Yes. He had a marketing background, 
um, and therefore he was able to support me. And I also made mistakes and he allowed me to make small enough mistakes to learn from it uh, so that, that the project was derailed. I quite like that. So somebody who enables you to, to learn something to be successful. So I would say those two people um, at the time were quite special people. Um, and I would say my, my current manager, actually, of my current leader, uh, our CEO of uh, Pension B, Romy, is one of those people that uh, leads a company by doing exactly that. Like I've learned so much in my journey at Pension B from the moment I joined them when there were only five people in the room and now a company with over 200 people, a uh, public company. And every step along the way, leading by example, has been quite inspiring. So I think those are three people, I'd say, great leaders for me that I actually personally know. So the three leaders you've cited obviously all have slightly different styles and there are many styles of leadership. Some of them are very easy to define, are very obvious of the worldview of the leader. Some are more subtle. What sort of styles of leadership have you encountered in your career and how do you think they have changed or have had to change over the years? I've worked with leaders that were very um, top down. So I would say you know, dictatorial leadership is maybe the wrong word, but you, you probably know what I mean. You, you like almost like army style. So yeah. I, I think that's disappearing. Yeah. Um, uh, absolutely disappearing. Um, and I think the enabler uh, is is a leadership style that I. It, it's just the one that has always been there, but I think it's only becoming even more important. Now, one of the reasons that I think that's happening is we've had COVID, and People who rely on their team to be in an office so they can look at them as like, this is my team and they are working really hard. And that's kind mm -hmm. of like, I'm the manager and they work really hard. Uh, they found themselves a little bit exposed during COVID because suddenly <laughs> they were all working from home. And if you are an enabler and you work with your team, you care about your team. So this is the other thing. Um, there's a quite a lot of. There used to be a. There used to be a shift. Uh, uh, I remember uh, in working in the city that you didn't talk about your personal life, you didn't talk about your career and everything, about your personal life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that was separate from the work. I think that's kind of like disappearing because as a leader, you do care about the people that work for you, that work with you, and therefore that that allows you to. For them to be more successful so i think that's been quite a shift and yeah. COVID made it only more uh, exposed that people who were still in that old mindset well what was actually the added value um if they were just dictatorial kind of like looking looking at their team and their structures but actually if you keep working with people and you enable them you can do that in an office but you can also do that uh, when they're remote that's interesting because we've we sort of gone through sort of three phases, haven't we, in marketing? One, we was, it was mostly, not entirely office-based, but mostly office-based pre-COVID. We obviously went through a couple of years where it was no office. <laughs> we weren't allowed to come into offices for, for the best 18 months to two years. And we've now gone back in generally most agencies, most marketing departments have gone back into a sort of hybrid model now with people in two or three days a week. But what you're saying is that in that period uh, when we were all having to work from home, and indeed the latter period where hybrid has become the main model, the enabling style of leadership has come to the fore. Because if you're an enabler, if you're a, an empowerer, you don't need to be physically sat next to people in a room in order to lead them. Whereas the old style, let's not call it the dictator, but I know what you're getting at, 
let's call it a a, a strong yeah. arm leader. Uh, he or she preferred to to have what they considered perhaps to be their rank and file around them. But this is the era you're saying of the enabler. Yeah. Also, Ben, if you are asking people to come back to the office for like four or five days a week, yeah, you are not an enabler. You're a very old fashioned leader because you have to rely on uh, presentism, like people needing to be in the office. If you are an enabler, you actually care about the people that are in your team that you work with. And guess what happens if you care about them? Then you understand that some of them uh, have just started a young family. They've got two young children. They've got they need to pick up children from school, from nursery. Um, others will thrive when they have at least two days a week just solitude time to get a script out or get get some work out. And therefore, if you know them, you care about them. They feel they're being cared about. Then guess what happens? Bringing them back full time to the office is probably going to be counterproductive because you're making it very hard for them to live a decent and high quality of life mm. because they have to, you know, with childcare and all of this stuff around. A second, you're also not asking them what the best solution for them would be for them to be successful. So we don't do mandated going back to the office, but most of my team will be in at least two days a week, one or two days a week for sure, because on yep. those days, they know if I go in, this is when I have a brainstorm session with my with yep. my fellow colleagues. This is when I do a project. This is where we set up. This is where we get creative. And then on other days, they can execute. And that's not, I didn't ask them for them to do that. They came up with it themselves. And that's just when you know your people, you know the people you work with. Anybody who says, oh, we now need to come in four days a week. They just don't know what's going on with their people. And frankly, they just don't care about their people. And therefore, they will leave. They will it's not be as engaged, less productive. It's interesting. A couple of things on that. I mean, the, firstly, it's amazing how many marketers I speak to nowadays who voluntarily go into the office for two or three days a week. Yeah. Because they want, they want to see their friends and colleagues and have that brainstorming. But it's not something that's mandated. It's something they themselves have yeah. done from the bottom up rather than been told from the top down point about not knowing there was an interesting statistic I remember vaguely from the COVID period is that when suddenly uh, you know everyone had to work from home and everybody from the CMO to the CEO in cases had to suddenly uh, join uh, teams calls and what have you um, online many uh, C-suite realised that they knew nothing at all about the personal lives of their people they didn't know whether they were married in some instances they certainly didn't know how many children they had and what the ages of their children were what their family circumstances were suddenly they knew everything about them they knew what their house looked like they often met their cat because she walked across the screen when they were doing it um and they certainly found out about their children because children would often interrupt and suddenly they would hear a little bit about the hubbub of daily life and actually, it really brought down to lots of leaders that they didn't know that much about uh, their staff. And therefore, as you'll say, if they don't know about their staff circumstances, how can they know what is going to work best for their staff in terms of enabling them? So in many ways, there was there was a lot of upside about it. And people uh, suddenly became much more aware of their people as people. Yeah, knowing more about the team you work with and therefore actually knowing their circumstances and and then helping them to be their successful self. Surprise, surprise, you get also a, a team from all walks of life because not everybody fits in one mold. So if you do care about a diverse um, a team from all walks of life, then this is also a really important thing. Naturally, you will have a much more diverse team. Just 
asking people what's worked best for them and then measure them against the goals you've, you've set them uh, probably is, is the right call. It's a core point of leadership, actually, isn't it? What works best for you so you can do your best for me. Uh, it's an interesting paradigm and it's a, it's a good paradigm. Looking for more ways to learn and upskill? CIM members can register now for our upcoming member-exclusive webinars. More details available at cim.co.uk forward slash content. Jasper, you're a very modest guy. Let's talk about you for a bit because we haven't talked about you. Um, we haven't talked much about Pension B. Pension B is a, a pensions app, a consolidation app, a service that you can uh, put your pensions into if you've got num a number of them, which many people have, particularly when they get later in their careers and they've had a number of jobs. Uh, it's an interesting brand. It's quite an exciting brand. Um, as a CMO yourself, as a leader in a brand in financial services, what challenges of leadership do you find that you encounter and how do you overcome them? It has changed over time. Um, I think the main challenge has always been um, how do I build a product that people actually trust? So first of all, the first challenge was how do we explain it to customers that actually you can actually do this and it, and it brings so many benefits that you don't lose track of your pensions. You can all combine them into one new plan that you can manage on your phone, getting that message across. But then later on, it was more also around, but actually do you trust pension B? as a brand, like, will we be around tomorrow? Yes or no? So challenges have come and go throughout the years. When we started Pension B in 2015, uh, with just a few people till now, uh, being a public company, um, challenges come and go. And interestingly is that, uh, first of all, challenges in your marketing team changes, challenges in your leadership also changes. So especially hiring people at the start, you want to have people you work with that are very versatile because you don't have departments, you just have a few people. And now we've got a much larger team and actually we've got sub teams now, uh, whether that's a content team or uh, an acquisition team. So you're looking for more specialists uh, along the line. So that has been the challenge. And most people that join Pension B in the team are still here. So we've got quite a lot of people who are still here after all of these years. What is their career progression? What, what do they want to achieve in the next couple of years? And are, is that aligned with how the company is moving? So some of the generalists or some of the people starting the junior role are now actually quite seniors. So that's been quite a challenge. And then on top of that, marketing is an ever-changing beast. When we started Pension B, Instagram was our biggest acquisition channel. Well, today yeah. it isn't. It's probably App Store campaigns. It's probably one of our top campaigns, paid search, and also TikTok, for example, which didn't exist in 2015. So marketers constantly need to learn and adapt about the changing landscape in terms of how we attract and retain our customers and make them very happy. So the company is changing very rapidly. So the roles change very rapidly from generalist to more specialist roles and or more senior roles. How do you do that? Second, how we reach customers, acquire them and retain them also changes. And in a fast moving company like Pension B, that is a challenge and a half. So is the key finding some sort of universal truths or universal mantras that you can hold on to as a leader? The interesting point you make about specialists is regulations change, technology advances. Yeah. You start to demand, you start to need a whole bunch of new specialists who perhaps you don't share their expertise. 
by definition, they're specialists. So you, you don't have an immediate connection with them. As a leader, when you've got a sort of ever more diverse set of colleagues, are there some sort of universal truths and universal mantras that you can hold on to as a leader, which apply equally to all? There's always two questions I ask. First of all, this is the challenge. If you were me, what would you do? Mm. To ask them that, that directly. It's me not being lazy and ask them to do my job, but it's more around, especially when it's a specialist, from their point of view. If you were in my shoes, what, what kind of decision would you take? How would you approach this? Second, understanding where they are in their journey and where they want to grow into and actually asking them the question, this is the problem, this is the goal, how do you think we should solve this? Yeah. Those are two questions you want to ask. So you ask people to come up with, like, how would you do it? And it's a great question to ask, isn't it? How would it just, you get to this goal? How do you suggest we get to this goal? That's inclusive. It's enabling language. And it's a, it's a sort of universal way that you can lead a very diverse team. I don't have to put my commander hat on and say, OK, this is how we're going to do it. No, 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 no. How are we going to do it? How do you think we should yeah. do it? Yeah, um, and, um, and they haven't done it before, but all these brains switched on will deliver an excellent result. Get your people to help you and to help the company with their insights and their, and as you say, their brains, not their boots. Um, do you think as a leader, you've got the opportunity to actually change organisations, to create a positive change in organisations if you use the right tools and techniques? I think, it, yes, you can. Um, so... The, um, to give you to give you an example, um, in the journey of Pension B, especially in the first few years, acquiring customers and growing and at scale and growing is very important. Uh, so your marketing team, the rest of the organization is very much designed around that goal of getting as many customers as you possibly can, uh, profitable customers, of course. But there is also now a point in time where that is still, although still important, our retention at Pension B is 97%. Mm. So 97% retention rate is very high. Now, in wealth management, it is usually quite high, but this is, this is we, we were very fortunate with that. But it also means that we need to keep our customers engaged and, of course, very happy that we can help them build a happy retirement. So what will happen is that you start to look at specialists that look more at retaining customers, customer happiness, customer panels, customer communication, rather than just acquiring customers because you can consolidate with Benchy B and then what? So advocating that we actually need a, a team really looking after that. I mean, I've been quite vocal about that in the organization and then you work with you know, you're designing product team, you work with the management team. And we've got now a multidisciplinary team that's all around team customer experience. Um, so we've got a team around customer growth and we've got a team around customer experience. Those teams weren't born overnight. And it wasn't me saying we need one team and that team and that's coming. No, but as a leader, you can you can highlight the new challenges that you're facing as an organization as a team or as a leader you can set goals around i want to keep the retention rate as high as it is right now i do not want that to drop yeah. so who do we need and 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 who do we need and how are we going to do this so you can drive those changes throughout the organization and i'm very happy how the teams are now set up
What about sort of social goods, like being more sustainable or more, more inclusive? Obviously, they can translate, as we know, into business advantage as well. But is that something leaders can do and should do? Or is it something that should be done by separate sort of bodies and organisations? Oh, God, no. I mean, as much as you want somebody dedicated to an organisation who looks after ensuring that we've got a diverse team from all walks of life, um, because let's face it, if you've got that team representing the society, you probably will build up, uh, provide a service or build a product that helps that society moving forward. Yeah. Uh, if it was only Jasper's types uh, building a pension product you can believe in, maybe only the Jaspers would believe in that. And yeah. we don't want that for sure. So that's the kind of thing you want. However, you can't have a head of uh, diversity and inclusivity achieving that. That's not how you're going to move the needle. So at Pension B, we as ma- as management team, as leaders, as a, from a management team, we are organizers of initiatives that help to champion diversity and inclusion in the company. So me as an openly gay man, uh, very happy to organize our LGBT plus uh, month uh, in June with my other colleague. And, you know, um, I did a panel of like other um, uh, members of the community in the company telling their lived experiences, for example. So me doing that panel, me organizing that, me working with panelists, um, I think that's really important. Is it my job? No, it isn't. But is it important? Oh, yes, it is. And, and, can, you, uh, and can you bring it about? It's not necessarily, it, it, may, it may not be part of your job description, but you have the agency to make those things happen as a CMO. Yeah. And you're, you, should, you, you should perhaps use them. Yeah, and me doing that, um, just doing that in the organisation, it hopefully inspires but all of our colleagues to be more acceptant and much more inclusive, one. Two, uh, if people want to be more open about that they are from the community, uh, it's good to see a senior leader um, mm. just being very happy and open and comfortable about it. Um, you know, those things really matter. So whether that is Black History Month, whether it's LGBT Month, uh, Pride Month in June, we've got uh, throughout the year, everybody in our management team will work on initiatives that they also feel very close to and want to help to. I think that's important. Um, and that should not be left to a head of inclusivity or head of diversity. You know, they only can be successful if we are, again, enabling them to do their job very best and for us to be the role models. Otherwise, it's just a token job. And we don't want token jobs. We certainly do not want token jobs in marketing or anywhere else. Jasper, it's been a great session, but before you go, I'm going to put you on the spot with one final question. It's 2023, it's nearly 2024, I suppose, if you give us a couple of months. Um, If you're going into the business today, or even as you are today, what sort of leader would you yourself want to follow? I want to follow a leader that asks me to think asks me to solve a problem or asks me to take on a challenge or get as close to the goal we want to achieve, asking me not dictating what I should be doing. My ideal leader is somebody who I don't feel I need to tell to, sorry, I'm half an hour late, my train, I got stuck on the train. Um, A leader that would trust me that no matter when or what I do, as long as I can be my very best self and meet the company goals. So people, they care about me, but they, they don't 
look over my shoulder all the time, if you know what I mean. Uh, so micromanagers, leaders of today, an ideal leader of today should not be a micromanager. If you're a micromanager, then something is seriously off. Um, um, you're insecure or you don't have the connection or whatever the reason is. I certainly would run for the hills if I had somebody who was like that. So an ideal leader for me is the opposite um, and will work with me on be being successful for myself and the company. That's interesting. That's great advice there. I'm sure your desires are shared by the majority of our audience. And there's some great tips for being a leader and also for being a follower. If you are someone who is being led, try and think what you want from your leader and try to find a leader like Jasper and the people that he cited today. It's been a great session, Jasper. Thank you very much indeed for attending. It's been fascinating. I find it fascinating. I'm sure our audience will find it fascinating. It's been great having you, and I hope that you will come back on the CIM podcast very soon. Thanks for having me, Ben. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast. <laughs>